Hi, and welcome to Strangers on the Internet, a podcast about making online dating work for you. My name is Irene Manta, and I'm a professor at the Maurice A. Dean School of Law at Hofstra University. I'm also a dating coach and a consultant for the dating app industry. And I'm Michelle Lang, a senior lecturer in psychology at Christopher Newport University in Virginia and a clinical psychologist in private practice. All views expressed in this podcast are our own and not our employers. Last time, philosopher Dr. Rebecca Roach shared with us about dating as an introvert, setting high standards, and the infamous Cathgate incident. We are going from the UK straight to California today and from Cathgate to Fishgate. Tune in to today's episode with our guest and my dear friend, Professor Aaron Shealy. As soon as we started inviting guests, I knew Professor Erin Chile had to join us here as soon as possible. She's a professor of law at the California Western School of Law in beautiful San Diego, where she teaches and writes in the criminal law area. Erin has a bachelor's degree and law degree from Harvard, as well as a PhD in English from the George Washington University. She has held a variety of faculty appointments all over North America, including in DC, Calgary, Canada, Norman, Oklahoma, and finally San Diego. She has also published a book with Edinburgh University Press entitled Criminality and the Common Law Imagination in the 18th and 19th Centuries. Erin used dating apps on and off for several years, and we can make it official, recently got engaged to a fellow academic that she met on Bumble. Erin, congrats on your journey, and welcome to the Strangers on the Internet podcast. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you came to use dating apps and how those early days went? Sure. Thank you so much, Irina, and thanks to both of you for having me here. Uh, I had sort of um, dating apps thrust upon me, I guess, um, due in large part to the career that you just described. Um, I had sort of spent my 20s and early 30s as sort of a serial monogamous with people I met in real life in D.C. Um, or elsewhere through professional connections and so forth. But once my job started making me have to travel all over the place and continually uprooting my life every two to three years, um, it just turned out to be by far the easiest way for someone in their late 30s in a brand new city with very few social connections and so forth to really be able to try to find a personal life. Um, and that's something that I've, I've thought about this a lot, particularly knowing I was going to talk with you guys today. Um, I think that that's something that maybe a lot of female professionals in certain, particularly in certain industries, um, academia is a big one. I think medicine may be one, diplomacy may be one, the military may be one, um, where you don't have a lot of geographic permanence or a lot of geographic control over where you go. Dating apps tend to be uh, in some ways a godsend because it is at least an easy way to try to reach out and make personal connections. So. I would say my first real experience with the apps, uh, at least as we know them today, would have been when I was 35 and 35, 36 and living in Calgary in Alberta, Canada. And that was at a time in my life where I had actually gotten over, just ended a probably the worst relationship of my life that was not a product of dating apps. Um, and so this was sort of an opportunity to just meet new people who actually lived in the city I was living in. And it was it was eye opening. How so? So I think um, one of the things that I noticed immediately 
there was a little bit of a cultural clash um, to my social interactions in Canada originally, sort of generally. Um, this is a little bit of a cliche, but I think most Canadians would say that Americans tend to be a little bit louder, a little bit more direct, a little bit less subtle. Um, and Americans might say that Canadians have a tendency to be play things a little bit below the line, um, possibly be a little bit more passive aggressive when they're annoyed at us. And I found that date, the dating app situation as, it sort of exacerbated that in my early attempts to meet people on the apps. So specifically, I, I remembered one of your earlier episodes, you guys were kind of talking about how certain men who meet you on the apps don't want to see fancy credentials or will deliberately start messaging you if you have fancy credentials of some sort on your profile um, to say things like, don't you think you're going to drive men away if you put that you went to Harvard, like things like that. Um, that's already kind of a problem. I found in some of my first date experiences in Canada, this was even worse because I got a lot of men, not a lot, but a couple of notable ones in my early uh, first attempts who would sort of say things like, well, you know, you're an American, you certainly come off as really confident about yourself. And that's a very American trait. And I was thinking, you know what? My female Canadian friends don't say things like that to me, nor do my male Canadian friends who are just my friends. This seems like sort of a male insecurity first date kind of negging exercise couched as a lesson in uh, political culture. Uh, and so that was not particularly fun, but fortunately I was um, able to set those types of first dates aside and um, did eventually have a very successful relationship that was sadly terminated by my need to move again, um, but was someone I had met online, on, also on Bumble, actually, in Calgary. So I would say phase one of my online dating in Canada was humorous and frustrating initially, but actually did fairly quickly result in a, a very happy relationship. That immediately makes me think of a couple of different things. One being, I think it's really great how you went about addressing this question, which is when you do move to different places, whether it's uh, across different countries or even just different regions within the same country, um, how there will be regional or cultural differences and, and how do you adapt to that? But the question even preceding that one, I guess, is how do you know if it is a, a true cultural difference or, as you said, just, uh, you know, misogyny blanketed as a uh, as a cultural difference? And I love that how you at least address that first question was you were like, let me make some friends in the area and see if my friends respond the same way as the people on these dating apps. Because I think, you know, most of us on dating apps whether we have some degree of confidence in our lives or about ourselves or not, we all have a degree of vulnerability going on to the dating apps, putting ourselves out and saying, anyone interested in dating me? And so I think it's easy when people question some aspect of our presentation for us to be very vulnerable to that. And, and I think that would be a question that many people have who are in the dating world, but who have moved or plan to move to another location. How do I know how to come across well to people in that location? And when I get feedback, how do I know if it really is, I need to pay attention to this cultural difference versus, oh, this is just how misogyny might look here or in this circumstance. So I love your solution of, let me just make friends and notice, did they respond similarly or differently to some of this feedback I'm getting on the apps? But I think the then, the next question I have for you is, 
what how how has it been experiencing those regional differences the different places you lived have you noticed some real differences and what people expect in different areas and how how has that impacted your dating life yes so i've noticed significant differences um although i will say and i'll come back to this in a moment as a piece of advice i found that in everywhere i've lived the best advice has always been to just be myself and figure out figure that the right person will want what I'm selling um, and the wrong person will be turned off by my authentic personality and maybe that's okay. Um, but in terms of just the culture of dating and kind of what seemed to be desirable um, amongst kind of a majority of, of, of people who I would connect with on these apps. Um, so in Canada, the, um, the weird sort of anti-American dates aside, um, I did find that there was a significant number of men living in Calgary who were kind of looking for nerd girls like me. Um, I had a couple of those bad first experiences, but ultimately I, I actually had a couple of good dates, including someone I'm still very dear friends with, um, even before I met my partner of a year there. Um, and just people who want someone who's going to go and be nerdy and play tri pub trivia and watch Game of Thrones and talk about books and stuff like that. So they, there are plenty of people like that in Calgary once I kind of got some of the, the cultural stuff down. Then when I moved to Norman, Oklahoma, this was very hard. Um, this was night and day hard in terms of the experience there. Um, and I, I would say this is kind of, this would definitely be the most vulnerable I ever felt on the apps. Um, kind of when I was in Calgary and later when I moved to San Diego, was happy about other things in my life. And it was sort of like, I would like to be able to find a partner that would make things better. Um, but I, partners weren't going to need to be load bearing um, to my sort of contentment in the same way as um, when I moved to Norman and I felt very isolated socially and kind of away from a lot of the things that normally make me happy. Um, so I was sort of had more of an attitude of, well, I really, really need to meet someone to sort of make try to build a life again after having been uprooted um, so dramatically and um, in norman itself it was almost a non-starter immediately i think most people in certain parts of the country tend to get married a lot younger so there there simply wasn't that big of a pool even of kind of single professionals um, particularly single professionals without children which was a requirement for me since i don't I don't want children, my own or anyone else's. So the, I was limiting myself a lot. And then throw into that the fact that I'm, um, I'm agnostic, I'm vegetarian, I don't like football. Um, I like things like mountains and art museums and oceans. And so like, basically I was just literally a fish out of water um, in, in Norman anyways. And the experience on the apps really reflected that. Like I, I gave up um, trying to meet someone in Oklahoma very quickly, I would say literally within about two weeks. And I ultimately got a separate apartment in Dallas, almost entirely just to have the opportunity to have a larger pool of people to get to know socially. Um, not just um, not just for dating, but heavily thinking about that. Just if I was at the time in academia, you never know if you're gonna be somewhere indefinitely. And I was trying to figure out how can I be here indefinitely, basically. So then I was dealing with the Dallas dating pool which was also extraordinarily difficult for different reasons. Um, I would say the Dallas dating pool felt in a lot of ways very similar to what I have heard people describe the Manhattan dating pool as being like. Sort of all of the cliches about 
people not looking for real connections, people ghosting, um, people sort of always looking for the next best thing. I had been fortunate enough up to that point that I hadn't had those experiences. The Calgary experiences really were mostly quite positive. So these Dallas experiences, suddenly I, you know, it made me feel very insecure for the first time about online dating. It made me feel like, wait, have I just turned 39? Is that the problem? Like, or, or is this pool just very different and in a lot of ways more um, superficial? So I don't mean to cast aspersions on the single men of Dallas, but I will say that that was a um, extremely depressing time in my online dating experience. Well, it sounds really challenging. I mean, one, I love that a lesson you learned from your time in Calgary about dating was, as you said, the the commonly given advice holds true, be yourself, the right person will be attracted. And that really, in the end, common interests are, are essentially the universal language, you know, that that exists everywhere, everywhere you go, you can find someone with common interests. And that's going to be the thing that really uh, yields the potential good matches for you, compatible matches. And so I like that that was a lesson learned in Calgary. And then I also really like that, man, you are faced with challenging circumstances in Oklahoma. And I love that your idea was adapt. Okay, I'm reading the tea leaves that I'm not going to find a match here. Let me go look in near enough by cities and see if I can find a match there, if that's something that matters to me. You know, I'm a therapist and so often advice that I need to talk through with clients is stop beating your head against a wall. You know, you can't expect to keep doing the same thing and get different results. And so I love that you were like, okay, then I'm going to pivot. I'm going to find a different city. Now I'm sorry that still that city too didn't yield exactly what you were looking for. Those were sound like very different experiences in Norman versus Dallas. But I love that that theme of adapt seemed to really work out for you. That's what you had to do to find some sense of community as far as friends go and to to have any chance as far as dating goes. So I think you're giving our listeners some really good guidance as to strategies to try. Yeah, and then when you uh, continued on to California, there are some, uh, there's some stories I think our listeners should hear that happen there. And there are in particular two of them. Um, well, one, we need to hear the Fishgate story because I've already promised our listeners. And then there is a um, story about about safety and some of the things you did. And here I would love to hear more. And I'm sure our listeners would love to hear more about your perspective as a criminal law professor and kind of the things you know because of that and how you applied that. So Fishgate and then criminal law, go. <laughs> okay. So, uh, well, first of all, as a little preface, when I moved to San Diego, it sort of manifested exactly what I said earlier, which is you have to, in my opinion, you have to be in the right mental state to have success dating, or at least it helps a lot. When I moved to San Diego, I was so happy to be coming home to my home state of California. I could have been single for the rest of my life and I still would have had a happy rest of my life just because I deeply love being in everything about San Diego makes me happy. Um, so I was feeling very fulfilled and dating was more like it was in Calgary where it was sort of like, it would be nice to find someone. Um, and I think that attitude in some ways made it easier. So the experience was much more a, a couple of weeks of sort of comical, good story to tell bad date experiences. And then I fairly quickly um, met my, my now fiance. So it was sort of a happy, it was a much lighter period in my dating life. 
But um, the two funny, well, the one funny story that emerged from this, which we now know as Fishgate, um, is another example in how you simply need to be yourself, in my opinion. Um, so I had matched with this guy who um, I think we had a very strong mutual intellectual and physical attraction. Um, he was a scientist. I won't go into too much detail about his job, but he was a scientist for a high profile company that actually had been of interest to me as a criminal law professor. And so we had really interesting conversations. And also, I think there was a lot of just attraction. So we were on we went on quite a few dates and I was usually I call it correctly. Usually after the third date, I'm pretty accurate at figuring out, is this going to have some legs to it or is this person going to disappear? Um, and so we had had one date where, um, well, the topic of his fishing had come up often. This guy is a very, 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 very passionate sports fisherman. Um, I had asked him since I like hiking, he had said he liked hiking on his profile. So I asked, um, you know, where do you like hiking? Do you have good trails around here? And he was like, well, for fishing, I go here, here, and here. And I was sort of thinking, I didn't ask about fishing. I asked where you go hiking. I mean, I'm, I'm a vegetarian, so right, it's not like my favorite thing to talk about fishing, but whatever. Um, so that struck me as maybe we're, maybe we're viewing nature in slightly different ways. But as I think Irina would be able to vouch for, I am not a picky, judgmental vegetarian. I've, I've actually never had a vegetarian significant other. Um, I, it just, it's not something, it's my choice in my own life, but it's not something I ever sort of nag people about or advocate for vegetarianism or anything like that. So I didn't view it as in any way sort of preventative that this guy was a sport fisherman and I'm a vegetarian. But he started sharing all of these stories about just the sheer quantity of fishing he did to the point where he had gone up to Alaska, I guess, and chartered a boat with his friend and they had people on staff there to actually set up all of the lines for them, meaning he and his friend just paid a bunch of money to sit on a boat, have the lines all set up, and then be able to reel, just do the job of reeling the fish in. Kind of like on the last House of the Dragons where the, the steer is all tied up and then the king just gets to stab it and everyone's like, oh good, the king killed the stag. This didn't seem very sportsmanlike in my opinion. Um, but again, I didn't say any of this. I just noted it. I was sort of like, oh, starting to feel that like that attitude to nature Maybe incompatible with me, but like also I never I've never really commented on it because again, not my place. I don't expect my partner to have everything in common with me. Um, but then he told me when he got back from that trip that he had brought 80 pounds of fish back with him. And so then I said sort of innocently, I was like, wow, 80 pounds of fish. Is that gonna, that's probably gonna last for a while, right? And he's like, well, some of it will spoil, but you know, I like to give gifts to people and stuff. And I was like, well, I mean, that must mean you don't have to fish for a while, right? Because you've got 80 pounds of fish. Like, you clearly don't need more fish. And I could tell that wasn't the right thing to say, like, already. I could just tell that he, the point isn't to eat the fish. It was very clear at this point that the point was not to eat the fish. And so I'm already in my own mind. I'm a little bit like, oh, I really don't love this. But again, I really liked the guy. And I, I wasn't, I just, I'm not someone usually who picks fights about political stuff or moral stuff with my partners, unless it's like an extreme difference. And I still didn't think this was the level of extreme difference. Oh, and also in the midst of this, I, I don't cook at all. This becomes relevant later. I just don't cook. It's not a thing I do. I don't expect other people to cook for me, but I don't cook. People who date me just sort of 
assume they're not getting someone to cook food for them. So that becomes relevant later. Uh, in any case, on the, the last night I ended up seeing him, we had had a lovely evening. And then he was making a comment about my surfing. I'd been in the process of trying to learn to surf. And he's like, you know, I really should get out on um, a board with you. It would be good. We sh I should try to learn to surf. I've lived in California all these years and I haven't. And I was like, oh, that's good. I would have figured, you know, that you might have tried surfing at some point living in California. And he was like, well, I did back when I lived in San Francisco. I, I did try some surf fishing. And I had had a few glasses of wine at this point. And I, so I thought I was trying to be funny, but it maybe came out a little too truthfully. I was like, oh, bloody hell, you can't even go surfing without killing something. <laughs> and like, I, again, I don't ever criticize people's meat eating, but this just seems uh, like it really did seem kind of funny, like that you don't know how to touch nature without killing a fish. Like uh, <laughs> for you, nature is killing fish like that's those are the that's the category of things one does in nature whether one is inland whether one is on the ocean whether one is on a board if he in the air he could probably figure out a way to kill fish so i i kind of thought it was funny but basically after that he ghosted me like this was clearly i had gone i had touched like a really sensitive thing which is suggesting that maybe there could be some limits to the amount of fish that he killed for no reason and I don't know, it was actually intended to be a joke, but clearly this was like, I touched a third rail here. So the epilogue to the story was that then the next time I saw his profile on the app, he had changed his bio to say, please don't be a vegetarian. I eat sustainable meat and that's very important to me. Also, please be able to cook because we're both adults. So he had changed his entire profile basically to just try to drive away someone with exactly my um, personality, I guess, which I thought, I mean, I was almost kind of flattered. It's like, well, I really, apparently this was traumatizing for you that you had to meet someone who thought 80 pounds of fish was slightly too much. Um, so basically I was kind of bummed because as I said, there really had been a very strong intellectual connection about a lot of things. Um, but this was just an example of how him being himself and me being myself simply did not make for a compatible match. So even though I was slightly offended that he changed his profile specifically to weed out people like me in the future, it was probably for the best that he did. I think he was looking for a partner um, and clearly that wasn't going to be me. Yeah, and then the safety, tell us about the, uh, the safety measures that you started implementing to uh, weed out people on that front. Yeah, so, it with the pandemic situation being what it was the typical at least at the time i was trying to date in san diego the vaccine hadn't even come out yet so there wasn't going to be a lot of going to restaurants and things like that there were like a lot of walks on the beach and stuff of that nature but i had when i first got out there this guy wanted to take me essentially drive me around and show me all the neighborhoods in san diego which to be honest that was a valuable thing like i actually wanted to have that experience. And it was just the two of us. That's so like, all right, we can take our own risks COVID wise. It's not like we're in public places, whatever. Um, so I kind of liked that idea for a first date. And he did ultimately, he did end up taking me to see stuff that was kind of interesting, but we met up in this parking lot of a coffee shop and he had his dog with him, which for me, that was a huge plus, like I'm a huge dog lover. And, and I felt as I saw this really cute dog, almost this moment of like, that seems like a thing that's meant to be like 
comforting. Like maybe it actually truly is that this is a good guy with a dog, but maybe it's not. But in any case, I had already planned to do a, t- a tactic, which um, you guys have spoken about, Irina spoke about on one of these earlier podcasts, which was to um, just take a picture of the li- his license plate before I got into his car and just send it to a friend. Um, and I, again, I told him I was doing that and his eyes went totally dead, like serial killer dead. <laughs> and he just sort of looked at me and he's like, because you think I'm a murderer or something like that. He just said it in the creepiest possible voice. And at this point, I probably should have just not gone with him. Um, so I did. I did halfway safety. I did take the picture and send it, and he saw me doing that. But then what was interesting was the drive felt extremely cursory. The comments he made were not did not seem to be made with any type of, you know, expectation of our seeing each other again. This could have just been that he was offended, which was brought up um, in one of your earlier podcasts. Some men just get offended by that. And if so, then probably they're not the right one. But there was something in the back of my mind that was like, what if I actually thwarted something? You know, like now that I've done this, like maybe now he's bored and he's maybe this isn't like I'm offended and now I'm no longer interested in dating you. Maybe this is like I was going to try something and now I can't. And so now there's no point in this activity. So I definitely left that, although the dog was very sweet. I I had a good time with the dog, Um, but it had a feeling of I just left feeling very icky about it. You did a background check on someone once. That was actually very revelatory. Too. Oh, that also. I just wanted that, to throw that in. I feel like I was only dating in San Diego for like three weeks, but I got, have a lot of really funny or in significant stories during this fairly short period of time. Yes, I forgot about that. I went on another first date. Uh, actually, I thought successful first date, like walk on the beach and drinks outside. Really, kind of liked him. I was, I was not. I was, I was sort of on the fence, but definitely would have gone on a second date. Um, he asked me out on a second date and then I Googled him once I knew what his last name was and saw that he had had a restraining order taken out on him by his ex-wife. So that again, there's two sides to every story. It's entirely possible that something else, you know, you never know what's going on in a divorce. I don't know for sure that this guy is an abuser. I just know for sure that that's the only additional piece of information I have about him. And I'm glad I knew that. And I, I messaged him and he just said, I'm so sorry for reasons I don't want to get into. I've decided I don't think we should go on a second date. And then I closed the the match and that was that. Yeah, we had talked on a prior episode as well. I had similarly had an experience where I Googled somebody and found a criminal record that I wasn't okay with and had, and in my case, I did tell him that that's why I was not interested in pursuing things and and explained, you know, my conflicted feelings about it as well, which was I understood you had done your time for this crime, but there are issues that are going to come in play into play for me. In my case, it was co-parenting with somebody who might have a problem with that, you know? And I just, I said, look, nobody I've never met in real life is worth me risking any problems to my co-parenting relationship. And so, you know, it's tough, but I remember at the time, I think we had talked about how it is, it's such a conundrum to be like, how much do I feel that I should tell them? Do I just cancel the date? And those answers are going to vary given, you know, and a case by case situation and given the details, your circumstances, the circumstances of what you found. But I think that really highlights again, the importance of doing a Google search at the very least. I also have done straight up background checks before and I have found information doing that and um, nothing too scandalous, but 
you know, you can, you can run those for a couple of dollars. And so I tend to find it to be worth it. Definitely. I tell people check the sex offender registry just to make sure that the person you're seeing doesn't appear on there, assuming that that matters to you. So man, you've definitely had quite the adventures in the people that you have met. I, I know I have like several thoughts or questions for you after all of this. I mean, the first was relating to the story of the man who you were willing to go on a drive with. I was already scared for you. I didn't know if this was going to be a good story or a bad story. And I was kind of waiting for it to, I was like, I'm not going to say anything on the front end because it's probably going to turn out nice. And then I'm going to sound creepy for assuming bad things. But no, my creepy misgivings seem to be well-founded. I mean, I think it's important to let our listeners know you should really think long and hard before getting in the car with somebody. And I think as both of you have said, if you're going to do that, you want to take a picture of the license plate. You want to make sure to let the person know you're doing that. Send it to your friend. Cover your own safety. But oh my gosh, yeah, when you said he brought a dog, my thought was exact same as yours. I was like, that sounds like a predator move. Look how sweet and innocent and unassuming I am. Dogs love me. And so, oh, creepy. So I'm glad that you were safe on that one, that that worked out okay for you safety wise. I hope you were ultimately able to learn some about the neighborhoods otherwise, but man, so important to highlight safety measures we have to take when we're going out with people who we do not know. Irene, you got any reactions to any, I still have more too. For uh, yeah. Some... I mean, it's just, I think it's part also of this just larger picture, some of which actually has to do with, with Erin's work and scholarship uh, about you know, just general harassment and random violence. I, I don't know, Erin, if you want to share the, the story of how somebody during the Calgary Stampede tried to like push you onto the tracks, uh, just a random stranger. And, and, and just kind of, if you could talk a little bit about, a little more about, you know, just the world that we live in as, as women, again, even as highly intelligent, informed, careful, all of these things, right? Uh, women. And what, what is it we can do? Where does the law come into this? What, what are some areas where you're maybe not happy with what the law is currently doing or not doing? So you know, any, any thoughts you want to share about any of these things? Well, I think, and I do want to emphasize, I actually thought the backlash at the slogan, not all men was a little too severe. It is true that not all men behave in some of the stereotypically abusive ways that we have all sort of had occasion to encounter. I think it's, it's important to note that. And sometimes I, I don't want to overstate the case against the entire gender, which is mostly full of like lovely people, including my partner and friends and so forth. However, a lot of my scholarship in slightly different areas of criminal law has made me realize the extent to which there's often a default sense of entitlement to access to a woman's body, a woman's time, that if you thwart that expect expectation can result in problems. So the, um, the train track situation was, uh, back when I lived in Calgary, there was this um, yearly rodeo called the Calgary Stampede which basically gave the entire city an excuse to be drunk um, during the day for two weeks straight, which was actually sometimes kind of fun, but also had its, its drawbacks. So I was walking up uh, probably about four blocks from my apartment to the train station, and I could see out of the corner of my eyes some drunk dude kind of like tracking me. I could see he had caught, I had caught his attention. He'd started to sort of walk, and then, then I hear him say like, 
hey, hey, girl. And of course, I, that's not a greeting I respond to ever. So I kept going and I could see him quickening his pace, continuing to yell things at me. And I just did, you know, what, what you do to try to retain your dignity in that situation, which is to completely ignore and just quicken your pace to get out of the situation. But then I could start hearing him saying things like, I know you hear me, which is the worst. That's like, I see that you're trying to keep your dignity and I'm not having that. I know you hear me and I'm getting increasingly angry that you are not paying attention to me. So he pursues me, he crosses to my side of the street and then he pursues me all the way up to the train platform, which is uh, very crowded because of the Calgary stampede. And so I'm standing just waiting to, hoping I can get on the train and get away from him. And then he sort of, approaches me with his arms like outstretched like sort of monster style just to create like a bigger physical block and i what i'm realizing he's trying to do the train starts to come and he starts just sort of trying to crowd me like onto the tracks in front of the oncoming train fortunately a british dude dressed as a cowboy saved me um but he was which you know i'm very grateful to him clearly one of the good guys um of which there are more than bad guys in my opinion but um, just this idea, I'm just literally minding my own business and sort of the fact that I wasn't going to give time or attention to this person, um, even though obviously they were intoxicated, their default was I should cause this person serious bodily injury or death as like a punishment. So that was an in real life sort of drunk person on the street encounter. But I do find that sometimes those norms of if someone's not paying me enough attention or if someone doesn't want to go out on a second date, these norms unfortunately can sometimes translate into online dating experiences also. Also, you guys made the point, I think it was probably in last week's podcast or the week before, kind of the role of course of control in um, online dating experiences, sort of the personality type that whether it be narcissistic personality disorder or um, antisocial personality disorder, but the personality type that seeks to sort of deprive a target of agency. Apps, as your guests last week were really good examples of, apps can be a really good tool for this type of interpersonal abuse, for setting the stage for that type of interpersonal abuse. Um, I've been lucky, I've never had that happen from online dating, but I did have it happen once in real life. So I think my online dating has been very informed by having experienced coercive control in real life and knowing what to weed out for. I'm thinking about, I'm still thinking through some of your other stories as well. And I guess on the Fishgate one, the one point, and I don't even know if there's a question, we'll see what comes um, from it. But, you know, I think it's so interesting how willing you were to continue to give this guy a chance, even though he was so into fishing. And I don't know if that's a credit to you and maybe even a common struggle for vegetarians in having to make space for, I mean, there's way more non-vegetarians than vegetarians in the dating market. And so really trying to accept that that's a part of this person's life. But I don't know, it was particularly noteworthy to me how you kept trying to make it work because of the other areas of attraction. I think that's very relatable, will be very relatable to our listeners, the idea of, there's this one thing that really doesn't fit, but these other things do. And so I'm going to keep trying for it. So I guess my point is just to note it, to note, it doesn't have to be vegetarianism. It can be any one element, but that's a very common experience across daters is to realize, wow, 
how how did I let this go on so long? Or it's just tempting too, because of the things we do see that we like. So I don't know, I guess maybe my question there would be, do you have any advice or insight as to how to realize that, draw that line earlier? Do you feel like you drew it at a good point or too late? So I think it was actually probably fine that I drew it when I drew it because it, I, I walked away from it with an amusing story I had fun with this guy for a week and a half or two weeks or whatever it was. However, if time were of the essence in some sense, in other words, like if you're looking at the opportunity cost of wasting time with someone when you could be meeting someone else, yeah, probably too late, but I guess, so it's hard, okay? So like my current partner is a carnivore. We just moved in together. I'm having to deal with things like now there's dirty dishes that have meat scraps on them in the sink. This really does gross me out. And he tries to be aware of that and tries to clean dishes that have meat stuff on them sooner than we would normally clean other dishes. But that's there's always going to be some necessary give and take. Like I'm never going to be someone that's like, I will only date a vegetarian. Uh, because frankly, most male vegetarians have other characteristics not in common with me. So, um, so I was trying to be flexible in part just because I do not believe that my vegetarianism is something as core to my moral fiber as say like supporting gay rights or something. Like I would never date someone who didn't support marriage equality, but vegetarianism, it's, it feels more subjective, more personal to me, something that I would expect there to be some type of variation in between myself and my partner. But it was the sort of spidey sense I was getting that it wasn't even about liking to eat meat. It was that really it's just the killing that seems very part of his identity. And it's a subtle thing after a lifetime of saying, I'm fine dating people who eat meat. I actually respect people who kill their own meat more because that's a, that's a more sustainable, better way to, to get your meat. As it slowly became clear to me that for him, it wasn't about eating this at all. It was just about killing even more than he could ever use or give away. Once I truly understood that, that probably it should have been up by then. We really did just, we had great banter and we, he was very attractive. So those banter and attraction together, that's hard to, that's hard to overcome. So. Yeah, I think that's really important for our listeners to be aware of. And I mean, I think we all are. I think it really is something most of us have experienced. Banter plus attractiveness equals nearly irresistible combination, but it also highlights the importance of having your known deal breakers. And honestly, I think we've talked about before, even just writing them down. So you have to look back at them sometimes and be like, if this is true, it's an actual deal breaker. I cannot make excuses for that. I can make excuses for some other things or avert my gaze about this thing that isn't exactly what I love. But if it's truly on my deal breaker list, I need to consider it a true deal breaker. And our deal breaker lists evolve over time. <laughs> you have refined yours. It sounds like to include can't just kill for the sake of it. <laughs> um, and and so now that's on the deal breaker list. Erin, what would you say are things that you've learned about red flags, whether we're talking about narcissists or other problematic behaviors that might not be the, the completely obvious ones that we've covered some of these on the show, et cetera, but what are some some things that you've personally encountered and are some of which might be more nuanced where you could tell things now that let's say when you were dating 10 years ago, you would not have realized. I get concerned about a completely blank affect 
which is sort of a highly specific thing. But if someone can move from speaking very animatedly to suddenly just looking weirdly dead in the face. Um, and again, this is something that I, I my, my lessons from this come more from dating, not on the apps, but just dating in real life. But I noticed this, I, I screen for this when I meet people on the apps and I will never know because when I see that, I don't want to go on a second date. So I'll never know if I would have been correct about that. But generally speaking, if someone changes their facial expression for no apparent reason that dramatically, that makes me uncomfortable in a way that I consider that a red flag. I don't like it. I think when whenever someone says, I want someone who doesn't take themselves too seriously, what that tends to turn into for me is someone who really wants sort of the privilege of tearing someone down um, because that feels good to them. Like if I were to say, I'd rather be with someone who doesn't take themselves too seriously, I'd mean like, you know, where we can laugh and be goofy and stuff like that. But I found that when someone puts that as part of a dating profile, what that tends to mean is more, I'm going to find ways to sort of make you feel crappy about your accomplishments or try to find ways to make you uncomfortable and set you off your game. And there's such a fine difference between that and kind of gentle ribbing sort of banter that is mutual, that is lovely, that involves wit rather than sarcasm. There's such fine differences between these two types of ways of communicating. But I find that usually when someone says, I want to be with someone who doesn't take themselves too seriously, they're more into the sarcasm tearing down rather than the goofy, gentle, um, mutual ribbing kind of humor. Um, and so that, I don't know that that's necessarily a red flag of full-blown narcissism or anything, but it's definitely a red flag of what's going to be a, an unpleasant first date and there will then not be a second. Yeah, one of my uh, bad dating experiences, which I did despite some misgivings. Again, there was the attraction. There was the good conversation. So I went on a second date. So it took the two to really drive home the point. But yeah, this guy and his profile had both. So it was the combination of him saying, I want somebody who can take a joke. And he also said somewhere in there that like he is a sarcastic type of guy. And I think it was the combination of sarcasm plus telling people you need to learn how to take a joke that that ultimately then did play out where I'm like, oh, like he has to say this because plenty of people don't find his jokes funny and he finds that offensive, but really he's the one being offensive. He just only wants to surround himself by people who will laugh at his non-jokes, which are usually more meant at tearing people down. So I also, I wholeheartedly agree with that one. I wish it hadn't taken me the two dates to, to accept that. You know, Aaron, one more question I have for you, have to ask you before we let you go, is given that you have moved so much and, and like you pointed out, there's lots of people for whom that will be the case, um, that they will have to move throughout their career or education, whatever it may be. How do you have the fortitude to to keep trying with dating. And I'm especially interested. I believe you said it was somebody you dated in Calgary that was a lovely match, but it had to end because you had to go. So for those listeners who feel disheartened, understandably, by the idea of if I move, what hope is there for me in finding a match? How do you find the energy and enthusiasm to get on the apps? Yeah, that's a great question. And it actually, I'll preface my response with something I've been meaning to point out all along, which is that this is not 100% of the time true, but I found at least in my career, and I did once do a little empirical study just of the faculties I've been a part of, 
the number of my male friends and colleagues who have partners who gave up their career to move to random places beyond their control to support the male academics relationship is something like three or four to one compared to the number of female academics I know who have had partners who have been willing to give up their careers to go places. There seems to be more of a default that people will travel. And I think this is changing. Um, I do think this is changing somewhat, but it, it does seem much harder for women to, my, my Calgary boyfriend was made it very clear that there was no way he would consider moving anywhere else for my career. Um, and I, suspect that a woman in his profession would have at least considered it for a relationship that was as serious as ours. So that is hard. Um, most of my, um, I, I know more female academics who have had to end relationships or have long distance relationships or just stay single for longer periods of time due to these terribly mobile careers um, by far than I do men. So again, the, not, not like a full-fledged, full-bodied empirical study, but in my own experience. That context has made it deeply frustrating and that leaving Calgary and leaving that relationship to move to a place that was very difficult anyways um, and losing that relationship on top of it, that made me very bitter and not great, actually. Um, so, uh, yes, it was very hard. I, I don't know that I had all that much fortitude. I've just felt very sorry for myself, to be honest, for a while. Um, but what I will say is that finding the place and the career that are going to make you happy prior to finding the partner, sometimes that works out for the best anyways. So even if I had met sort of someone I wanted to spend the rest of my life with in Norman, Oklahoma, I don't think I could have been in the same ways that I couldn't have been happy with Calgary winters and Canadian academic salaries with U.S. student loan debt. I couldn't have been happy even with a perfect person living forever in a place I didn't want to live. So um, it kind of just worked out. I think it can be helpful to say that, like, once you have everything else in order in your life the way you want it, you're in the best possible situation to have the other stuff just follow. It is a relief to be able to be dating, knowing that you are in your forever place. And um, it's, it's worth waiting for. At least I found that it was worth waiting for. So, um, yeah, it doesn't. I won't say it didn't suck because it really sucked. But um, in the end, now that all feels just like distant memories and that feeling's worth it. Erin, if we could ask you one last question, and then I know we need to end it. How did you know that your fiance was the one? So you've met him, he was also a stranger on the internet, you found him on Bumble, and then what happened? Definitely the bantering. Although it was also, we, we both knew, I think he would say the same things we talk about this sometimes. We both felt that we knew within 90 seconds that this was like, an intense attraction that like we probably now in retrospect you can kind of retcon it and say we knew in 90 seconds just from seeing each other that we were the one i think in reality it was more after we realized we had spent three hours just walking back and forth on this beach from like one end to as far as where the cliff stopped us on the other end and then back and the conversation we just didn't want the conversation to end um, in fact, it had, it had to end because I had another, I had a second date with a guy I'd been on a first date with the night before scheduled for dinner. And like, I wanted to cancel that date. I, I'd never, I just, we, neither of us wanted that conversation to end. And I think it was leaving, leaving that, just knowing that this level of conversation and, um, chemistry feels like it could just go on endlessly. And so that was by the end of the date, I would say. 
That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming today. I think our listeners uh, have really enjoyed your story and and um, have learned a lot from you. So we really appreciate it. And we love the happy ending that, you know, for all of the stories you have to tell, some funny, some disheartening, some that are a real bummer, some that are kind of bittersweet, you end with you, you meet your stranger on the internet, you meet your fiance. And so we're really happy for you as well. Well, all that said, I have to go home this evening and see how many meat covered dishes he's left in the sink. But <laughs> apart from that, <laughs> thank you guys so much. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, Please rate it five stars so that others have a chance to listen to it as well. And make sure to subscribe so that you can get our future episodes. You can become a part of our community by joining the Strangers on the Internet Facebook group or following us at Swipe Strangers on Twitter or on Instagram. I would like to thank my husband, Carlos Farini, for sound editing, as well as Vlad Kujuklu for permission to use his music for this podcast. Bye, everyone. Bye.